what is high school if not a time to crush all of your dreams? Listen, it happened to me and I turned out. End of sentence. Hello and welcome to the Sing Stations podcast. My name is Olive. And within the past couple of weeks, my parents have decided to cancel both our Hulu and Disney Plus subscriptions. So it's a good thing that I am dedicated to collecting physical media of all of my favorite TV shows. Hello, I'm Eliza, and it's great that they sing We Got the Beat in this episode, because if I had been in high school and these fools started playing around this way, I definitely would have given them the beat. Yes, the beat down, if you will. As if either of us had like physical prowess to beat anyone up in high school. Not in high school, but like now, you know, you know what, honestly, even high school me could have taken down Rachel Berry, I think. The weight of my hatred and rage. Yeah. I think we Rachel Berry. She's like 5'2". Anyway. So, um, welcome to our for real start of the season. So, if anyone has forgotten where we left off last season, as a quick recap, um, we are entering the, like, about half of the Glee Club kids senior years uh so Rachel Finn Kurt and a handful of others are all graduating this year and they lost the nationals competition at the end of last season because of Finn and Rachel's like kiss that missed is what they call it this episode we open up with Jacob Can I just Israel. say at the oh. top of the season right here yeah Wayne also should have been a senior, but Darren Chris is too charming, and they were like, fuck, we gotta keep him. They Yeah, they were like, we need to keep this bitch on for as long as possible. They should have done, I know I've often said that, you know, because season four of this show is really where it starts to heavily decline, I've often said that they should have kept Glee, the show about the high school, and then they should have done a spinoff about Rachel in New York. Nix that, they should have done a spinoff about Curtin Blaine in New York. Exactly. Because also this was 2015. That would have been Glee, uh, Glee ended. ended. Glee ended in 2015. This is still 2012, 2013. I think that that would have been great doing them in New York. And like I know that they had no way of knowing that this would have happened, but like if they had still ended it in 2015, then they could have done like gay marriage is legal now. Well, I like to think that if Curtin and Blaine had had a spin-off, it would have been popular enough to last until gay marriage was legalized. So we open up this season with everyone's favorite character, Jacob Ben Israel. Like, why get is your, he still here? Like, get your groans out now because it's just gonna go straight downhill from here. I I have been thinking often. Um, me and my partner are currently watching Glee. It's his first time watching through, and there have been times I've thought Glee is really getting to that point of not. It's not quite a jumping the shark moment. But it is a moment, or there have been several moments that have made me go like, what happened to the original plot of the show? Like, like what happened to Glee just being a nice show that I could enjoy? Ryan Murphy happened. But then I have to ask myself, well, was Glee ever a nice show to begin with? Season one, absolutely not. Season two, there were a few episodes on in there that were good. Season three, again, similar to uh, Teen Wolf, so I hear, season three is is really, like, quality, life-changing television, and then it's downhill. For the sake of, like, diving right in, this Jacob Ben Israel kind of stint, he's filming for his blog, 
And he's kind of giving us like a recap of where each of the like graduating seniors is at. So he introduces Finn as a mediocre quarterback and a mediocre glee club lead. Um, and he asks Finn what he wants to be when he grows up. And Finn goes, uh, yeah, I have plans. Uh, and then Mike says he, uh, his mom hasn't decided if he's going to Harvard or Stanford yet. And then Tina, do, do, do. Oh, Tina's only a junior, right? And so is Artie. Yeah, Artie's a junior too. Artie's staying on another year. Rachel and Kurt both say they are I applying. think that this is uh, the first time that they've ever taken a definitive stance on what grades any of them are in. Yes, probably. At the end of season two, they have the junior prom. And they do specify that that's junior prom. But also all of the Glee Club members go to it. So doesn't matter if you're a junior or not. Um, Rachel and Kurt are both applying to J- Juilliard, which is a performing arts school in New York. Um, and also, like, Rachel does that thing that drives me insane about anyone who goes to like a prestigious school and is like, we're applying to a school in New York. Uh, and it's like, girly, just say which one it is. It makes you look like less of an asshole. Like, um, people well, who go to Harvard and just go like, oh, I go to school in Cambridge. It's like, bestie, we all know what you mean. They do this miserable thing where they're already predicting Rachel says, I'll get a Tony by the time I'm 25. I'll originate a role in a Sondheim musical. You know what? Maybe I'm a hater. Maybe I just wish I could have been this confident exiting high school. I mean, there is an element of that. But then also me thinking about all of the various people from our old theater group who were like, I'm going to go to New York and I'm going to be on Broadway. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, girl. We also touch back on uh, Mercedes because... Mercedes is a senior. We don't find out like what her plan is just yet. Just that she wants to like be a star. She wants to win a Grammy. And she had this like summer fling with Sam. But now she is dating a new guy on the football team named Shane, uh, who actually seems really nice and cool. Yeah, like he just seems supportive of Mercedes, which is what she deserves. And I love that for her. It must be noted. Mm -hmm. That Jacob and Israel does refer to Sam Evans as a.k.a. Trouty Mouth, a.k.a. Hobo Hobo McBeaver. That might be one of my favorite nicknames they ever pull on this show. That's so fucking funny. I also, I mean, I appreciate that Shane is, like, fully supportive of Mercedes' singing dreams. Like, yes, she's in Glee Club. Yes, he's on the football team. And it's, like, not an issue for them at all. Like, where has this been the whole two seasons prior? And then Santana says that senior year is all about being the Cheerios top hoe. Oh God. I never want to hear a high schooler referred to as a hoe. Never. Like even if she's a senior and she's 18, like, I don't care you. Okay. Here's the thing about turning 18. You, you turn 18 and you're like, Oh, I'm 18. I'm an adult. You the, you fucking are not. (laughs) Yeah. You are not an adult until you're like 20 to 23, depending on who the person is. Yeah, give yourself a couple years. I'm I will not, say I'm Olive not. was an adult at, like, 19, because you're just a very, like, mature, definitive like- person. Some t- the, the thing about homeschoolers is that sometimes they end up really immature and never leave that, like, I'm 15 years old mentality. And then sometimes you raise yourself and you, like, are ready for the, uh, like, ripple effects and long-term commitment plans of having a mortgage by the time that you're in high school. So... Yeah. I mean, speaking of that dichotomy, so what happens here? Santana's like the top, top Cheerio, 
or actually later we find out that both her and uh, Becky will be the uh, head Cheerio this season. But we find out that Santana's like, I'm going to be on top of the pyramid this year. And Brittany doesn't really have plans, but she's also still a Cheerio. And then we find out that Quinn actually has like made a complete personality reversal. She's hanging out with the Skanks. We don't get there yet in the episode for a couple more scenes. But I do think there's something to be said about like Quinn trying so hard to live up to this like perfect standard and thus having this kind of delayed adolescence. Identity crisis crisis for sure. This delayed adolescence, this like almost this brattiness that comes out of her. Frankly, Skank Quinn is like kind of an icon in her own right. But Absolutely an icon and they should have fucking kept it. But also it Um, comes from this place of like, I want to have things my way a little bit longer and uh, maybe not ready for her for like the full weight of adulthood like she thinks she is. Um, anyway, speaking of Brittany, uh, Jacob asks Brittany what her plans are for the future. And she goes, wait, are you working on a time machine too? As we end Jacob's whole introduction okay. thing, we go into a Finn voiceover and he admits that he has no idea what he wants to do the upcoming year. He has no idea like what colleges he's applying for or anything. And then he gets slushied immediately. So it's like, oh, well, um, guess I'm in the same place I was at the end of last season. If they hadn't been, if the people who wrote Glee weren't cowards, what would have happened this episode is that Will Schuster would have covered High School Never Ends by Bowling for Soup. Uh, but I don't want him to. That would just feel weird. Well, I mean, yeah, but also, like, that song is really good. Also, what Will Schuster solos don't feel a little weird. Exactly. Um, I'm the only known defender of young girls slash don't stand so close to me, so... I think that I can definitively say there is not a single Will Schuster solo that doesn't make you go on a small level. And speaking of seeing Will Schuster and going, we cut to him and Emma uh, waking up in his apartment and he goes, rise and shine, sleepyhead, and makes a reference to uh, the fact that he has morning wood, which makes me want to absolutely die inside. I don't mean to be like, like that's, it's just a bodily function. I don't mean to be like body shaming or anything, but like that should be illegal to mention on a TV show. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> like, I don't want to hear. Like, I know that we've already in this show, like, oh, people are having sex and everything, but like, there's a difference between like Finn, Finn, not Finn and Rachel, Quinn and Puck had sex and she's pregnant. And Will Schuster talking about having an erection. That's two different things. Yeah, it feels similar to, I, I believe there's at one point in season one or two where Santana like actively discusses scissoring. And it's like, Ugh. literally why? Maybe we're just prudes, but like. This is a, at least nominally, family TV show. Well, anyway, I'm going to move on. That scene is is important, sort of, because it establishes Will and Emma are, like, kind of living together. They, like, make their uh, lunches for each other in the morning. Um, it's unclear if they're living together, but they're clearly, like, now in a committed relationship, let's say. And um, we cut to the choir room where um, everyone's gathering around and... Will Schuster has pulled like all of their trophies out so that all the students can see uh, their 
highs and lows, let's say. Uh, Will is talking about uh, pushing the Glee Club harder than they've ever been pushed. And he's like, I let you down last year because I was focusing on going to Broadway. And Rachel mentions that the guy who replaced Will in April Rhodes' show actually ended up winning the Tony. I refuse to believe the April Rhodes show won a Tony. Yeah, absolutely fucking not. Um, and also apparently Finn and Rachel's quote unquote kiss that missed already has 20,000 views on YouTube, which I will say is a very small amount of views in the grand scheme of YouTube. Um, we also find out that Zeises uh, left the Glee Club because she does not care about Puck anymore. And she was like, eh, I don't give a fuck about you guys, which good for her. So true, bestie. Um, Puck then makes a really fat phobic joke. He, she, he says she was the one that got away really, really slowly. And I just want to say I would like to take an ice pick and like jam it in his ear. And then Will Schuster, uh, genius that he is, brings in these three purple pianos. They are all painted bright purple, different shades. And the Glee Club is intrigued, to say the least. Will explains that these were repossessed from foreclosed homes. They are cast-offs in need of repairs, just like us. And there's this mysterious benefactor named Al Mata of Mata's Pianos, um, who has, like, donated them to Glee. Um, Will fixed them all up because apparently Will has his piano tuner license. And uh, he painted them purple, and he's going to be placing them around the school uh, throughout the day. And if one of the Glee kids sees them in the school, um, they have to sing a song right then and there. Like, drop what you're doing. You have to sing a song. A few notes on this. First Please. of all, pianos, something famously extremely easy to move, especially by yourself. Well, to be fair, they have wheels. They have wheels. Thing two. Like, what if I'm in math class, Will? What if I'm fucking busy? What if there's what an if emergency? I What if my period just started and I desperately need to go to the bathroom to, like, make sure I don't free bleed all over, like, the science class? Do I need to stop then, Will? What if there's an emergency and someone needs to, like, pull a gurney through the hallway, but there's a big fucking piano in the way? So, like, the practicalness of that. Thing three, does everyone in the club play piano and are they expected to sing and accompany themselves or do they just sing a cappella? I, I have questions. Because we are shown later. Granted, this isn't like season six, I think. Rachel doesn't know how to play the piano. Also, we all knew those bitches in high school who would just like impromptu sing at the top of their fucking lungs. And it made me hate them. Like, like I said at the opening, like if I'm like walking to my locker and I'm trying to mind my business and I'm thinking about what homework I've got, I'm thinking about, I don't know, I'm thinking about how I hate my dad, you know, high school stuff. Was that only in high school? I didn't realize you had to stop that after high school. If I'm minding my own business in the hallway and I'm trying to go to my locker or whatever it is normies do. And out of nowhere, Rachel Berry just starts singing, I don't know, Don't Run On My Parade Again. Because you know that's what she's doing. 
Yeah. If out of nowhere I am forced to hear Rachel Berry scream singing at the top of her lungs, I'm going to commit a hate crime. I'm going to commit the specific hate crime against of people who hate Rachel Berry, which is slushing her. So there's that. That would actually make me hate the Glee Club more. Thing four, can't you just, like, advertise your club in a regular way? Also, we only see a couple times throughout this episode them actually, like, touch the piano while, you know, doing these performances. So why have the pianos at all if you're just going to pull out the whole high school band for numbers like We Got the Beat, you know? If you're just trying to encourage the Glee Club to, like, be more spontaneous, I feel there are better ways to incorporate that into a lesson than buy three pianos or I guess have them donated to be fair they're donated and like wheel them around school will you're a teacher don't you have better things to do during you're the day? literally a teacher aren't you teaching class or if this is like in between if this is also in between periods or whatever like okay people need to use the hallway I we need to I move on, because on we're enough about how much I hate this but I will say, as I've said, this is one of those not quite a jump the shark moments, but a moment where I'm like, wasn't this show about like being relatable to teens and like just a bunch of kids having fun singing their hearts out and singing about their feelings? Since when is this show about high schoolers being as annoying as fucking possible? I mean, one could argue it's been about that since the start. I guess for Rachel Berry it has been, but I like to think that other characters weren't always like that. That's true. I just, I don't have words for how much I think this is stupid. Yeah. Anyway, we cut into um, Emma Pillsbury's office where uh, Kurt and Rachel are there and Emma thinks they're there for couples counseling and she hands them a pamphlet that says me and my hag and is like, oh, this is great. This is the only dating combination the Glee Club hasn't tried yet. But they explain that uh, he, uh, Rachel and Kurt are both auditioning for Juilliard. And so they need Emma's help in like just the application process, yada, yada. And Emma goes, well, wait, Juilliard doesn't have a musical theater department. And this is where I have to ask, oh, my God, did you guys not fucking Google the college that you wanted to go to? Apparently not. Because I will tell you. Uh, to be fair, I haven't been to Juilliard's website, but most colleges have a pretty easy, like, drop-down menu of, like, here's all of our degree plans. And um, Emma encourages them to maybe do, like, Kent State or something a little closer. Um, but they say, no, no, we definitely need to go to a New York school. We're going to New York. And Emma suggested suggests the New York Academy of the Dramatic Arts, which will hereby be referred to as NIADA. NIADA. Which is not real, thank fucking God. Have you heard, I feel I've heard multiple stories online of like kids who either told this lie or were told this lie by other kids when they were in high school and like told people that they were going to Niata. No, like, but I absolutely believe that it happened. Like I've heard multiple stories of like, oh, so-and-so I knew in high school told people that they were graduating and moving off to New York to go to Niata and they were caught because everyone fucking knows that Niata is not a real school. You could have just said NYU. There are so many other places, so many other programs. And like, I just, I, this plot point is one that I hate a lot. Um, I will say, if I remember back, you know, how I was back when I first watched this, this was before like 
the heavy depression really hit the heavy disillusionment of like my general understanding of my education and future uh not to be hashtag depressing here but at this point I do remember you know very much looking up to Rachel Berry and Kurt Hummel and seeing myself in them and being like when I graduate college I'm also going to go to a theater school and do theater things and then I'm going to move to New York and I'm going to be discovered and I'm going to do auditioning no matter how much it how hard it works me like because I'm just going to be a star and you know we saw how we could see how well that worked out for me but like I I I will say I don't hate their dedication to be like no we're gonna go to New York because that's just what we want I do think that like it's this weird conceit of like why did you guys think that you could go to Juilliard it's also like it, the thing that I think torques me off the most about this is that they never make a backup plan. Yeah, they never have backup schools when there's like plenty of other performing arts schools in New York. Like, again, fuck it. NYU. Or, um, or do they not just like, do they really need to go to college? Like, if the goal is just New York, period, why do you guys need to go to college? Like, just go to New York. They end up going to New York on Rachel's parents' dime anyway. So, like, just do it. Anyway, we need to move on. Uh, Important thing is that at the end of the scene, Emma mentions how there has been this mixer going on for prospective students at, like, the local, um, I don't know, like, sweat lodge or something, recreation center something in town for like students who are also applying for Niata or other performing arts school. So Rachel and Kurt are going to go to that later in the episode. We um, cut to Sue's office. Uh, we actually forgot to mention at the end of last season, we found out that Sue is going to be running for Congress. And so Becky comes in with poll numbers and we find out that Sue is not doing like super well. She's in like ninth place or something and I think you have to be higher than that to be considered even really on the ballot uh we find out that Sue says I thought that people wanted a candidate who was for something that's why I took that pro deportation stance but the people are angry they want a candidate who's against something and they look out into the school hallway and Tina is playing one of the pianos while Mike is dancing around I need to describe how this happened when me and my partner were first watching this. Tina is playing uh, chopsticks on the piano. And as they are the two Asian characters, my partner asks, is that racist? And I was like, oh my God. And I asked, eh, no, because, you know, chopsticks is just like a simple thing that anyone can play on the piano. It's not that bad. But Sue walks out into the hallway, begins to destroy the piano. And goes, oh, I'm sorry. I just realized that song might be the national anthem for whatever country you're from. And I went, oh, that's racist. <laughs> like, nothing. Yeah. Played. <laughs> like, it was just this this perfect interaction of my partner going, is that racist? And me going, no, no, I, I, I think it's fine. They're just playing it on the piano. And then Sue says that. And it's like, oh, no, And no, immediately no. making it, like, disgustingly racist. Ma- making it. 10 times worse and Mike even says that's really offensive but of course that 
as we've often stated, just because they say it's offensive in the script doesn't mean it wasn't really bad for them to write that joke in the fucking first place. And uh, we find out that Sue is also like newly uh, enraged by the Glee Club's existence. She does not really care that they helped with her sister's funeral at the end of the last season too. Because Glee is doing the thing that they do all the time for Sue, which is giving her character development and then going, just forget that that happened. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's been the past. Yeah, I mean, she makes a great villain, so I almost don't mind it. Like, as far as any character development being kind of wonky, I'm like, Jane Lynch is allowed to do whatever she wants. I'll concede that point. Uh, as she, like, shoes Mike and Tina off after destroying the piano, one of the other teachers from the school passes by and says thank you to Sue. And she, at first she has no idea who this woman is. And the woman's like, It is very funny because it's like, you're welcome. I have no idea who you are. And then she's like, I have taught here for 42 years. Um, and this teacher says, her name's Nancy. She says, those artsy kids, they think they can get away with anything. People who call themselves artists think the rules don't apply to them. It's so arrogant. Bless you, Sue Sylvester. You got my vote. And like, this uh, gives Sue this new outlook on her uh, political campaign because now she can be against something. She can be against funding for the arts. And the fact because- that, like, in 2012, this was like, yeah, this is a fringe political belief. I don't know, man. And then where we are now in 2023, we cut to uh, Curtin Blaine at the Lima Bean and we find out that Kurt and Blaine have kind of been going back and forth on whether Blaine is going to like move schools for him. I don't think Kurt is like asking Blaine to move for him, but it would I think be kind of- my, my perspective here is that they are having a very mature discussion in that here is my points. Here are your points. Okay. If we don't come into agreement, we're just not going to bring it up again because ultimately like it is what it is. Well, and, um, and you know they're high schoolers i think it's good that they have a healthy like hey we can just live apart from each other and that's fine it's not like we need to see each other every day frankly there are a lot of times in high school you realize you only really became friends with someone because you were seeing them almost every day <laughs> and then once you're out of high school it's like eh. and blaine makes the point that like well i can't just bail on the warblers but also this means that we're competitors for the upcoming uh glee club competitions um it's actually like a pretty sweet scene but it sets up something later in the episode but hold on on that we cut to quinn walking around the school hallway skank quinn skank quinn skank quinn if i can just give a little backstory on what it was like um in between the glee seasons so season two ends right and we get this little like okay Quinn's gonna get a haircut because it's like mentioned in one scene with her and Santana and then in the like summer in between the seasons where they're filming the show right there's paparazzi photos coming out of Diana Agron with her hair like cut in this really sharp kind of jagged bob and it's like dyed pink and everyone's freaking out because they're like oh my gosh are they gonna have her like wear a wig for the character like what's happening to Quinn is she actually like filming looking like this 
because it's like such a turnaround from everything else we've seen, not only from Quinn, the character, but like from Diana Agron in the public, similar to when, um, when Anne Hathaway shaved her head for real on the set of Les Mis, it was very Mm -hmm. that where it was like clutches pearls. What has happened to our sweet baby, Diana Agron. And then open up this season with skank Quinn, her hair dyed pink. She's looking not quite like a punk aesthetic, but very grunge, very, I don't give a fuck. We find out that she has a tattoo of Ryan Seacrest on her as a tramp stamp icon. Uh, And she's like senior year. And I finally found myself. Um, I'm never going back to that like prissy, perfect cheerleader that I was. And they're hanging out um, in this like fenced off area, I guess. I don't know how schools are set up fucking outside the school. And Santana and, and Brittany are trying to ask Quinn to either come back to the Cheerios or come back to Glee Club. Like, it's just the three of us. We could win the nationals this year. Like, you have to come back. And Quinn's like, no, no, you guys never understood the pressure I was under. And I don't give a fuck about any of the things that you guys care about now. In fairness, I do think that Santana and Brittany could be more sympathetic to what Quinn has gone through. Because I don't think Quinn had ever really dealt with the trauma of like being pregnant and then having that baby, having to give up the baby, you know? Like that's a whole thing that like was never actually worked through. Yeah. Um, Also, I have a, a little bit of like a, like it doesn't make me upset. It just is like, I wish that you had like shown not told a little bit more leading up to this where it's like Santana's like we're supposed to be like besties for life and I'm like all of you were mean to each other basically all the time. Yeah like Santana and Brittany are friends. Santana and Quinn were kind of always like in competition with each other which I guess sometimes that can no I was gonna say sometimes that can be just like a part of life with friends but I can think of moments when I felt like competition with people in in theater groups and like that was not conductive to our overall overall friendship yeah like I just it's just like the unholy trinity and like don't get me wrong I do love the unholy trinity but like these three girls were not friends I think that they go on to become friends which is a like I, I do love that arc um right but like they're they were not besties for life girl we get introduced to the skanks who are you know this group of badass girls who like don't give a fuck what anyone care anyone says raven goodwin if anyone remembers her from uh good luck charlie plays one of them oh my god wait who raven goodwin who played um what's the main girl on good luck charlie the older sister's best friend Ivy plays one of the skanks named Sheila. I'm. Did you not notice that? No, I have not thought about Good Luck Charlie in years. But now that I am, it's. We also see uh, Rachel coming up and trying to plead with Quinn. Um, Rachel also says we were friends once, and I again I no you to were differ. not you were never friends. Um, Rachel does make a good point that like Quinn kind of has been making these big appearance changes thinking that it would solve all her problems and it's like 
this isn't actually solving anything. You're just making like a physical change when you're clearly not dealing with some stuff emotionally. I'm like, Uh, I'm very familiar with that one as someone who has had turquoise, purple, pink hair, um, and also an eyebrow slit. Well, but as someone who also, like, there have been times I've dyed my hair and it hasn't been related to emotional issues at all. I just wanted to fucking dye my hair. And I think there's a clear difference between like, oh, I just wanted to experiment a little bit with my look and like what Quinn is doing, which is like this whole, like, I'm a different person now and I'm never going back to Glee Club. And it's like, I also have another thing to say about this scene. I was just going to summarize. Rachel is, you know, asking Quinn to come back to the Glee Club as well. And Quinn is making it very clear, like, I'm never going back. So Rachel also mentions that Quinn was dating a 40-year-old skateboarder. Ugh. Ryan Murphy, Haig. Like, why even put that on the show? Like, it could have just been, like, a weird skateboarder guy. Why did he have to be 40? Yeah, why canonically make it that Quinn was a victim of grooming, basically? And then also, Rachel says, we need your tremulous alto. Bestie, if Diana Agron is an alto, I'm a bass. Diana Agron has a very soft voice that is used in a lot of harmonies on the show. And so I think they mean alto as in like a lower singing part as far as sheet music goes. Yeah. Anyway, that just torqued me off. We cut from there to Sue um, delivering her, like, official broadcast. Um, She's running for, you know, Congress. And she has made it clear to everyone that she is going to suspend all public school arts programs if she gets elected. Um, She says, America is failing. China is on our ass, people. This isn't the 1960s anymore when jobs were plentiful. And it's not personal, Will Schuster. The arts are expensive and we can't afford it tonight. Or, or and we can't afford it anymore. And so um, she calls parents, uh, calls upon, you know, the parents of Ohio that if, you know, if you are like me and you can't stand to see the kids of Ohio uh, you know, give themselves up to the demons of arts education. Like, just vote for me because I'm going to put things right. And um, we cut to Figgins's office where Sue and Will are, are arguing. And first of all, Will is upset that Sue destroyed the uh, purple piano. And second of all, Um, He is making the argument that arts absolutely do help children in schools uh, and kids in the arts record the lowest instances of substance abuse. Like by threatening the arts, she is threatening his job security. And I would like to say, Will, you are a Spanish teacher. You do not get paid to run the Glee Club. What isn't in the first season? Wasn't he literally paying to run the Glee Club? Yeah, that's changed a little bit now because they have more funding. But yeah, like you do not get paid. Your job is not to run the Glee Club. Your job is to be a Spanish teacher. Um, and he also says, like, I need job security. I'm in a relationship now. I'm thinking about starting a family. If we are to assume that this is the beginning of the school year, right? This is like September at the latest. 
he and Emma have only just started dating over the summer since the end of last season. No, I guess. And so they've been dating for what? Four months tops. I mean, I guess if like they both know that that's what they want, that's one thing, but also like that is an insane thing to say to your employer. It's an insane thing to say to your employer. I also don't think it's reasonable for Emma because she just got divorced, is probably just barely becoming comfortable with like sex in a committed relationship. I guess it is implied that she and Will are having sex. Um, Thought that I hate, but true. Yeah, just, just to be clear, Emma Pillsbury is an asexual character. Just so happens that asexual people can obviously have sex in their relationships uh, and that's their business. But like, that's such an insane thing to bring up to your boss and your arch nemesis at work. And then Sue even makes like a snide comment, like, oh, how's it going with Emma? I'm sure everything in the bedroom is completely normal. And then Will actually like starts answering the question and he goes like, oh, it's so frustrating. I get the green light and the red light comes just as quickly. And Don't like, talk about this at work. Will, stop fucking talking also clearly sue did not actually want an answer to that question and she's just you know out to destroy him period so we cut from there to sue's office where she's announcing to santana and becky that they're both going to be cheerios co-captains to which both santana and becky are hugely upset about and becky calls santana sandbags which is really funny Another weird thing happens in this scene in which is that Santana and Becky are fighting and Sue goes, ladies, I am aroused. Yeah. What was, what was the point? The point was Ryan Murphy getting to make another pedophilia joke. And so she has, what's the fucking word I'm looking for? She is setting Becky and Santana out on this mission to track down the purple pianos wherever they appear in the school and destroy them. She says, make it look like an accident, Santana. You're playing both sides. What team are you playing for this year? Winners or losers? Which is, I don't think Sue knows this. I don't think Sue knows that Santana is queer. But I would argue like a direct jab at Santana uh, being closeted. Yeah. You're playing both sides this year. Um, And then we go to the cafeteria where... (sighs) Just imagine me sitting with my face entirely in my hands for this whole thing. Rachel points out that uh, there's been a purple piano sitting in the cafeteria and they're like, wow, we, uh, I guess we have to do a number. And like none of the kids, but Rachel want to do it because they're in the cafeteria. Everyone's fucking minding their own business. They're like, we really don't want to bother anyone right now. But Rachel's like, no, the point of the assignment was to like find people who couldn't help, but join in the music. And the more people that we sing in front of, the more likely it is that people will want to join Glee Club. Beg to differ. This really just makes me more irritated with the Glee Club. But um, they get up. Apparently, the, the whole fucking band is also there, ready to perform. Finch so what's gives the point a little... of the fucking pianos? Yeah, they're not even playing the pianos. The Also, I guess, like, all the band kids aren't eating lunch. They're just, like, waiting, lay, laying in wait for the Glee kids to perform a number. And they perform uh, We Got the Beat by uh, the Go-Go's. And um, it's actually, I would say, pretty good. I do like the cover. I'll listen to it. My thing about We Got the Beat is that it is a song that I find annoying to begin with. Mm -hmm. 
So Glee doing it does not endear it to me any more than I already dislike it in my eyes. So it's kind of like, it's a song that I already don't like done by characters that I often find to be insufferable. I will also say, uh, so multiple things. There are cute moments in this song where Mercedes is dancing with her boyfriend, Shane, and he's kind of like bopping along, like having fun with it. It's kind of cute. But then the more irritating parts of the song are where the characters are like dancing on the lunch tables, basically like inches away from stomping in people's food. Everyone's like moved their plates off of the table. So there's like nothing in the Glee Kids way conveniently. There's also more than a few shots of Brittany and Santana's asses in their short cheerleader skirts, which just makes me uncomfortable. And as the number ends, there's there's decent choreo, I will say. There's a couple cool Mike Chang moments. As the choreo ends, Becky, I believe, picks up a uh, like a cup of a cup of cut fruit or vegetables or something and throws it at Rachel. And then someone else throws spaghetti at Puck. And Jacob Ben Israel shouts, food fight. And suddenly food fight erupts in the cafeteria because apparently it's that fucking easy to start a food fight. I like I know that half of the conceit of this uh, podcast is that we didn't go to regular school, but like it can't be that easy, can it? it? It cannot be that easy to start a food fight because I would like to think that most high schoolers are aware of the fact that A, if they start a food fight, they're going to at least get detention if not suspended. B, if they participate in the group food fight, they have to clean up afterwards. And, and see, then also, I would like to eat the food that I fucking paid for or packed for myself. Also, if you get in a food fight, you got to wear that shit for the rest of the day. Yeah. Does everyone have a change of clothes? I will say there's one funny thing. You do see Sugar Mata, who is about to be introduced in a later scene. Um, her and Puck like make eye contact during the dance. And she is reading a book at the table. And on the cover of it, it says War and Peace, but it is a, like a fake uh, brown paper book cover. And so you can't see the actual book that she's reading. It just has this fake brown paper cover to it that has War and Peace written on it in like bad pen and Sharpie, which does imply that Sugar Mata wants people to think that she's reading War and Peace. But doesn't want to actually read War and Peace. Because who the fuck wants to read War and Peace? And then we cut from there, uh, cut, cut from the food fight to the choir room, where Artie says, I thought slushies were bad, but spaghetti sauce in the eye is so much worse. And Brittany says, I have pepperoni in my bra. And, and Santana, Santana says, those are your nipples. Those are your nipples. <laughs> and so I'm like, you know what? Maybe that scene was worth it because that line was really fucking funny. It was. Enter Sugar Mata. She she comes in and is like, well, that number fucking sucked. You guys are terrible. And I actually do find Sugar kind of cute at times. I do think she has occasional funny lines. However, her introduction goes, I'm Sugar Mata. I have self-diagnosed Asperger's, so I can pretty much say whatever I want. I hate it. I I would like to throttle Ryan Murphy for writing that as like a backstory for a character. Can't you just write like a bratty spoiled character without making this weird jab at like A, people on the autism spectrum, B, people who have undergone self-diagnosis because the medical system has failed them. Like, 
just make her a rat who and who doesn't make just make her someone who's insufferable and full of herself you already did that once her name is rachel berry yeah like why why did you have to make it also like no one calls it asperger's anymore i do think at the time they would have this is 2011 also there are a lot of people who who this does not apply to sugar mata specifically but i do know there are people who were diagnosed with Asperger's back in the day and thus like will still use it as the phrase for themselves because it's, you know, what is on their medical records. Yeah. Even though it's not the proper term nowadays. Um, And so she goes, here's the deal. I'm awesome and I want to be a big, big star. And when I saw you guys dancing in the cafeteria, I thought I am so much better than you, which is a really fucking funny line. But then she goes, sorry, Asperger's and makes it this like, I'm allowed to say whatever I want thing. And she does that like multiple times. Thankfully, they don't carry that too far into the character. I think this is really the only episode it comes up as like this Asperger's related thing. But God, it still sucks and I don't like it. (laughs) Like, because these lines are really funny if you don't have this added like, jab at people on the autism spectrum like i hate it also Um, tell me you've never interacted with a person who is autistic before yeah without telling me you've never interacted with a person who's autistic before as to like and i will say we also have direct experience with this as to neurodivergent people and to people who have had to go through various rounds of like self-diagnosis in order to be seen as like even marginally valid by the medical industry like i hate this a lot (laughs) and anyway so sugar mata says that she wants to audition for the glee club and this is important because her dad is al mata who is the guy who donated the pianos and has been like this big um financial contributor to the glee club recently and she sings big spender first of all (laughs) she turns to brad and goes hit it hottie and she dances to big spender and it is objectively so bad. Um, also, fun fact, Vanessa Lenges is another person who came out as uh, genderqueer after uh, being on Glee. So, like, I just, I always find it so funny to comment on, like, the sheer amount of people who have come up, uh, come out as trans or genderqueer after Glee. Good for them. Because in 2011, people weren't ready for that. But then after the fact, it was like, hey, kind of sick. And so she, she stopped singing. And Mr. Shu is like, okay, um, we'll have to get back to you on this because usually Mr. Shu is like all for just like letting whoever, yeah, like just anyone can join and like we're super welcoming. But this is like, oh, you cannot hold a tune if it was in a bucket staple to your hand. Rachel is the first to be like, no, no, she cannot be in Glee Club at all. Like, this is high school where it's survival of the fittest and she's going to drag the new directions down. And then we cut to Will in the teacher's lounge where he's discussing it with coach beast and beast is like, well, whenever I have a, a kid who, you know, wants to be at the, on the team, but isn't very good, I'll make him a water boy or a mascot or something. Um, but he also says like, you know, sometimes you just have to cut people from the team. Like if they're not good, they're not good. And, his job is to make a winning team. And Will is like, well, doesn't it, you know, eat you up having to tell students that they're not good enough? Um, and Coach Beast says, um, you win nationals this year. You're buying that Glee Club 10 more years. 
Yeah. Uh, and then Emma shows up. God, I hate this line so much. Also, um, so Emma shows up and she says, Sue just passed undecided and in quotes, anyone white in the polls. So clearly her being anti-arts is like actually working and like at least motivating some more people to vote for her to do will kind of gets this idea that he's going to like launch a counter offensive and emma says so this is what being turned on feels like and i want to rip my skin off of my face i i feel like i'm being more creative this season with all of the ways i would like to like eviscerate myself during the episodes of glee i want to steal ryan murphy's identity so that i can commit tax fraud and have him go to jail for it and then we cut to Rachel and Kurt. Um, they're just on the stage. They're in the auditorium. And um, Kurt has pulled Rachel aside because they want to rehearse this number that they're going to perform at the little like uh, meet that the kids are doing down at the rec center. And so they perform Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead, which is, I think, really cute. However, I will never listen to this on my own time. It was cute for like maybe the first, through the first chorus, and then it kept going. And I was like, this is torture to me. It is so long. Maybe if it had more pizzazz to it, but basically they finished the number and Rachel's like, those kids aren't going to know what hit them. And it's like, it, it was fine. I just think that if we're going to talk about Rachel and Kurt duets, there are better ones. We cut to uh, a round of Cheerios tryouts. Again, it's the you know start of the semester, so Cheerios are having tryouts. Becky and Santana are there because they're top cheerleaders. And Will comes in, and he is being filmed by Emma, and he's got this bucket of glitter, and he's giving this whole speech to the camera and to Sue about how like if she destroys arts in schools you're crushing all these children's dreams and every piece of glitter here represents like a child who won't be able to achieve their dreams because of you and he dumps the whole bucket of glitter on sue and uh him and emma run away and it's it's all on video and becky sue says becky i need the two of you to escort me to my hyperbaric chamber as i have glitter in my eyes and cut two. We don't we don't see the results of that, you know, little Not yet. little uh tryst there. But we cut to Blaine walking into school. Is this the first time we've seen Blaine in normal clothes? Yes, it is. Uh I have to point out And thus starts one of uh, a trope slash tradition slash microaggression that followed portrayals of gay men on tv for years to come gay men wearing bow ties god damn it <laughs> wearing bow ties and like tight fitting button-up shirts that are like almost muscle shirts but dressy and like i don't know enough about tv history maybe you do like was was the gay men wearing bow ties thing a thing before it may have lightly been prior to Blaine, but it was definitely solidified because of Blaine. Because this was also 2011, and this was also right around the time when um, the term, like, metrosexual, and when it was really popular for, like, hipster men to have their, like, 
twirly little mustaches, their glasses and their bow ties. And so you could absolutely be like a straight man who wore a bow tie, but it was also clearly known as this like effeminate thing because you wore a bow tie and not a regular tie. God, the damage that Ryan Murphy has done to society. The damage to my psyche for having to like say the word metrosexual out loud. (laughs) To be fair. Anyway, he walks up to Kurt and he's like, hey, you. And Kurt's like, I've had a terrible week, but also like, why are you here? You should be at Warpler's practice. Uh, Putting the fine tuning your latest Katy Perry showstopper. As they should be. And Blaine is like, you love clothes so much, but you're not noticing that I'm not wearing my warbler outfit. Also, it would be really fucking weird if he like drove two hours in the middle of the school day just to come up to McKinley. And I will say- The thing that I would say that's the difference between Finn and Rachel, Finchel, and then Clayne, is that I absolutely believe that Finn and Rachel love each other. But I don't know if I'd say they like each other. Yeah. Kurt and Blaine Whereas like with each other. Kurt and Blaine like each other as people and they also love each other as partners. Yeah. And like for me, that's the distinct that's what makes them different than just about any other couple on the show. Um, Mike and Tina exempted, and also Sam and Mercedes once like Sam grows up some exempted. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's actually such a good point because if you really think about like the origins of Finn and Rachel's romance, like Finn basically did not know Rachel existed until he was in Glee Club and she was like throwing herself at him. And then he was super confused because he's like, oh, I've got a baby on the way, but also I'm interested in Rachel. And it's like, hold on. Do you guys actually like make good partners for each other just like on a basic like two people coexisting with each other level I will say as we're we're very happy here because what's happening is you know Blaine is announcing that he's transferred to McKinley to be with Kurt and he's like I can't stand to be apart from the person I love and that's very sweet because because Kurt does ask like you didn't do this just for me because it would have been very romantic but it also could have led to anger which could lead to a horrible breakup (laughs) And which, which is very sweet that Blaine is like, no, I came here for me because, you know, I don't want to be apart from you. That said, oh my God, never transfer fucking schools for a high school boyfriend. Don't transfer schools to, for a high school boyfriend. And for the love of God, do not go to a college specifically for a man. Like, oh, like, like there, there are two wolves in me. One who is a clean shipper who's like, oh my God, this is so sweet, so cute. And then the other one's like, holy shit never fucking do this and then we go into the outdoor courtyard this like outdoor seating area that mckinley has the lead into this is actually i love because kurt's like oh we'll just have to find a way to ease you into the new directions and blaze like i got this and he performs it's not unusual by tom jones and it fucking slaps it goes so hard if this was the version that john mulaney played in the salt and pepper diner 13 times on repeat i wouldn't be upset i would listen to this i believe it's 21 times on repeat frankly he sounds very similar to the to the original like he's very much evoking the tom jones original but he sounds better and as you're watching this number uh there's choreography with all of the cheerios happening and santana specifically is like doing a little uh duet not not duet singing but a little little dance a dance with uh blaine 
And you might be asking yourself, like, why are all the Cheerios joining in? Don't the Cheerios hate the Glee Club? And we see, as the song kind of starts to amp up, they are all pouring gasoline on the piano. But, like, no one's noticing because everyone's having a super fun time dancing along. And we're all so glad that Blaine's here. As the song ends, Quinn flicks her uh, lit cigarette onto the piano and it blows up in flames. First of all, just an insane plan for the Cheerios to make in the first place to like destroy the piano. Cause like what a fire hazard. And also like not even really Santana's fault. Quinn was the one who lit it on fire. And I don't think she intended to light it on fire either. It just is such an insane thing to have happen on the silly little music group TV show. Yeah, like people could have actively gotten hurt here. You know, sometimes on Scooby-Doo where the villain's motive will be like, Eh, I wanted to own this mansion. And it's like, you almost killed people for this. <laughs> so that's that's what that scene is giving. And then we go from there to Kurt and Rachel. They're getting ready to enter the, the meeting with all of the musical theater kids applying for Niata. And they are pumped. And Kurt's like, we're going to kill this. And they're going to be so sorry. Or Rachel, I think, is like, they're going to be so jealous of us. They're going to quit and rip up their applications. And they enter the ballroom. And everyone is dressed exactly like they are, with maybe slight differences. Um, The main girl, Harmony, is wearing a beret and a little black and white dress that's very similar to the dress that Rachel wore for uh, Ding Dong, which is dead. And she comes up to them. There's also all these guys who are wearing, you know, fabulous uh, colored buttons, downs and vests and hats and scarves. Very gay, to say the least. Harmony comes up and is like, hi, are you guys joining us? Um, Because we've been rehearsing here. Or she asks, What's your name? Where are you from? And what are your credits? Which, in fairness, haven't we all met a theater bitch who's like this? Yeah. And she says, I know you totally recognize me because I'm the Gerber baby. And I've been acting since I was a fetus. An ultrasound of me was featured on Murder, She Wrote. There's also a person named Gavroche there named after the, the French street ocean from Les Mis, which I hate that he like has to explain that to them. Um, And he says, as my future husband, Robert Pattinson, always says, it's refreshing to get new blood. And they explain that they've been meeting here every month since they were freshmen. So for the past three years, basically. Before Kurt and Rachel are allowed to do their number, Harmony says, no, no, sit back. We're going to do our number that we've been rehearsing, that we've been fussing around with. And they perform a mashup of Anything Goes from Anything Goes. And anything you can do, I can do better from Annie Get Your Gun. And this fucks. It's not as good as it's not unusual, but it is It is a prime example of the absolute masterpiece mashups that Glee does. Harmony, isn't she one of the people who was on the Glee project? Yes, she was. I was actually about to bring that up. So she is played by um, Lindsay Pierce. She was one of the runner-ups on the Glee Project. I don't want to get, like, super into talking about the Glee Project just yet, but um, the Glee Project was a competition show where singers competed in various uh, weekly events, not dissimilar from, you know, So You Think You Can Dance or American Idol-type things. And if you won the season, you would get a, I believe for season one, 
it was a four episode arc or three episode arc. And then if it was season, and then if you were a runner up, you would get two episode arcs. And so Lindsay Pierce is the first who we see in uh, season three. She was a runner up with Alex Newell. Uh, Damian McGinty and Samuel Larson were also the winners of the season. So that's basically all you need to know for now. Um, Lindsay Pierce is actually a super cool lady, though. She actually just finished a stint as Elphaba on Broadway, and I believe she is now playing Janice in the touring company of Mean Girls. She, oh, good for her. She's super cool. Everyone give her a follow on Instagram. I quite enjoy her. And also, as they're watching this number, Lindsay Pierce is an absolutely amazing vocalist. Um, their choreography is down pat. Like, this clearly isn't something they were, quote unquote, just fussing around with. They were clearly rehearsing this to a T. Yeah. And it is much better than Ding Dong, the Witch is Dead. Sorry, Kurt and Rachel. Um, and we cut immediately from the end of that number. So, like, I guess Rachel and Kurt didn't even perform their number. We cut to Rachel and Kurt sobbing in his car. And Rachel's like, I've never been so humiliated. Like, they're so much better than us. And um you're really not i mean like she was really good but like it, it, was she better they were better than ding dong the witch is dead yeah i'm sure it's happened before but like this is where the trend that i really hate starts of kurt and rachel are both upset but the only one who comforts the, the only thing that happens is kurt comforting rachel not the other way around yeah because why would rachel like need to be there for her friends no everyone is just there for rachel um this is also something we've seen before where like Kurt and Rachel are, are destroying themselves right now because they're like, oh my God, we're not talented enough to succeed. We're not as good as them. We're going to just end up in the sad life of community theater. And as someone who has done community theater, I'm like, hey, community theater can be fun. Like, hey, it's perfectly fine to just have a day job and do theater in your free time you know, they're so worried about this. And obviously Kurt, you know, starts to give Rachel a bit of a pep, pep talk. And he's like, well, you have something that they don't have. And that's ambition. And I was like, do you think that those kids don't have ambition? It's such a weird dichotomy to make to me because he's like, Rachel, your ambition does push-ups while you sleep. Nobody wants it more than you. And I was like, the kids who have been rehearsing here every month since freshman year, don't want it as much as Rachel like is that what you're saying I don't think that's what it is they do this thing where they link their pinkies together and like shake hands and then Kurt says we just did the gay high five and I hate it Ryan Murphy is a war criminal we cut from there we get to a little scene of Will and Emma at the, wherever it is that they live. Yeah, I think they live at Will's apartment now, I guess. God. He goes, I don't want to go to school today. It's the right thing to do for the club, the greater good. I just can't kill a kid's dream. I can't do it. And Emma is like, you literally glitter bombed Sue Sylvester. And she calls him hot, which begged to differ. But we cut to uh, Sugar's locker and, you know, Will is telling her, like, I'm so sorry, you cannot be in the glee club. Your audition wasn't good enough. We don't hear what he said, but, you know, something along those lines. And Sugar says, obviously, your ears are busted because I worked that song like a hooker pole. 
And she says, I just um, really don't like the character of Sugar. I I think she has an occasional cute moment. They tone it down after this and it gets better. It's it's the first episode is really rough. She gets better after this. And she says, you're a washed up Broadway wannabe who's stuck in Lima and has to lead the Glee Club to how many national wins? Oh, I'm sorry, zero. Or or she says, not Asperger's because she's saying like, no, no, I'm just saying that to be mean. That wasn't my Asperger's, which I mean, she probably doesn't have Asperger's, but. And then um, Sue walks back up and um, she's talking to Will about, you know, this, this viral video that he and Emma made. And he's like, well, I hope it taught you a lesson, Sue. And she's like, oh, well, funnily enough, it actually made my polls go up because people seeing you hate me has actually like added more fuel to my argument that the arts are fucking stupid, which like, I feel like I saw that coming a mile away. Um, We cut from there to the Glee Club where Will introduces Blaine and, um, they're kind of like not super psyched about it. And Finn makes a comment like, I just want to, I want Blaine to know that we're not the warblers. We're not into the bells and whistles and ball hogging, which beg to fucking differ. Rachel Berry is the hugest ball hogger of all time. Yep. Finn actually accuses Blaine of setting the fire out in the courtyard. But then uh, Santana admits to it. She says it was an act of political protest. But then Will says, Santana, you need to leave. It was you and the Cheerios who set fire to our piano. And he says, you know, that was a huge betrayal of the Glee Club. And Santana tries to say that Sue made her do it, but Brittany didn't. And so Will says, you are banned from the Glee Club. Don't come back unless you can be as loyal to this club as the rest of the people in this room. And so... To Santana's credit, she keeps it together. She goes, you know what? I could use a break and walks right out. And um, in fairness, I think that's a perfectly reasonable move. If anything, it's the only smart teacher thing that we've seen Will Schuster do in like a while. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that was actual teaching that was done there. Or at least, you know, some sort of like administrative duty was done because that was super fucking dangerous what Santana did. Rachel gets up and announces to everyone, you know, we need to do a school musical because um, I don't know if they get super far into it this episode, but basically Rachel is thinking she needs to have more on her college application. Yeah. To like to make herself seem better to a school. And so she wants to do West side story. And Brittany says, is that the one with the cats? And Rachel says, it just so perfectly has a lead role that showcases my talents and essence perfectly maria which beg to fucking differ it truly does not truly does not because first of all maria is puerto rican it is vital to the character that she is puerto rican at the very least should be played by a person of hispanic or latinx descent should never be played by a white jewish person and also that aside I would like to make the point that Leah Michelle's voice does not fit the character of Maria. It's horrible for Maria. Like, and Mercedes uh, speaks up here too and is like, well, there should be open open auditions because I also want to go for the lead, which props to Mercedes. She absolutely should go for the lead of another musical because Amber Riley's voice is also not appropriate for this role. 
Um, and then Kurt gets up because he has an announcement and he's going to announce that he is running for senior class president again to have like an extra thing on his college application. And um, Tina, you know, looks around at the pianos, probably her first fucking line this episode after the racist encounter with Sue earlier. Um, and she's like, just like these purple pianos, people ripped out our guts and threw crap all over us and burned us. And Will's like, yeah, but these pianos are still making music and so are we. And then we cut to You Can't Stop the Beat from Hairspray. And again, I would like to say, it's a pretty good number, pretty fun. Not as good as It's Not Unusual, but pretty fun. Nothing in this episode is as good as It's Not Unusual. That's the high point. Thing else is downhill for me. I will say this is an example of something I love that they do on Glee where everyone's wearing like the same color, but they're doing it in like their own style. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, Blaine's in his little like button up shirt and bow tie. And uh, Brittany's outfit is actually super cute. She's in these high-waisted shorts and Tina's in this mod style dress. Because also Tina's fashion has like completely done a 180 and now she's dressed very mod um, instead of very goth. So best song this episode, I, we're obviously in agreement. It's not unusual. Uh, worst song this episode, I want to say it's We Got the Beat because the performance of it just makes me so frustrated. I would probably listen to We Got the Beat more than I listen to Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead. It's We yeah, Got the Beat. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I just had a thought of what I could say, and it's awful, but I'm going to say it anyway, specifically because of that. I don't like the Anything Goes slash Anything You Can Do cover, because I hate it when musical theater geeks are happy. But it's actually so fucking good, and Lindsay Pierce deserves the world. I Yeah, for me, it's probably Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead. Yeah. Like, like, it's not bad. I don't want to rag on it too much, but it's, there are better Kurt and Rachel duets. Exactly. Um, and then as far as Will doing anything illegal this episode, not illegal, but there were a lot of references to Will having sex that I did not appreciate from a personal standpoint. Next episode, as we get further into the, um, we get further into the West Side Story plotline and we get further into Kurt's campaign for uh, student government. Um, we get into this weird, like, again, kind of this, what happened to the original plot where it's like, Will, you're a Spanish teacher. Why, why are you doing so many things that are not teaching Spanish? Anyway, next episode is I Am Unicorn, where uh, we actually get a new development for Brittany and Kurt becoming friends, which is super cool. And we get actual plot line for Mike Chang. Gasp. And Shelby Corcoran comes back another everyone's favorite character. So are we ready for a super fun season of, se of reviewing season three of Glee? Brokeback Mountain voice, I just don't know how to quit you. Brokeback Mountain voice, this is, this is a goddamn bitch of an unsatisfactory situation. That is our show. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram at SingSationsPod. That is S-I-N-G-S-A-T-I-O-N-S-P-O-D. Um, you can rate us on Spotify and Apple Music, and I don't know what other platforms people use to listen to podcasts, because I'm a normie. If you do use Spotify, we would really appreciate if you uh, participate in our polls and tell us what your favorite song of the episode was. Anyway, long live Skank Quinn. Bye! Okay, bye!